a very unusual race with a very large prize, $10 million. Messengers spread the word by land, by sea, all over. People from all over the world were invited, but only a handful, only five, showed up. The day of the race, the rules were explained by the organizer and the judge. And here are the rules. Here are the three rules. You having trouble with the rules? No rules! Here are the rules. Stay on track, keep moving, and finish the race. Now, the total distance of the race and the exact course were unknown. And so, first of all, with the five runners that showed up, because of these unknowns, the first runner was really struggling with this. And he began arguing with the officials about these rules and all these things that were unknown. He didn't like these rules. And he wanted certainty about the $10 million prize because he heard that everyone would win it if they followed the rules. Anyone who followed the rules would actually win the same prize. So he was really arguing about this, saying, wait a minute, you mean even if I come in last place, I'm going to win $10 million? But he wasn't, he, he wasn't really content with that. In fact, he ended up arguing throughout the entire race. He just kept arguing. Even though people begged him to get in the race, he just kept arguing. Finally, the race ended. And of course, what happened? He was disqualified. He didn't even get in the race. So the race is going on. There's now how many runners? Four. Four runners. They're running. Looking good. Everything's looking good. Second runner's doing really well, actually. Doing really well. But then, you know, after a couple hours, he's really getting weighed down. He is sweating. He is struggling. In fact, the, the spectators are looking at him and are like, Man, I'm glad I'm not that guy. I'm glad I'm not in the race. Man, I, I'm glad I, I didn't enter. I, I don't want to be like him. Uh, because he was really, really having trouble. He looked at the other runners and he noticed they weren't having trouble. He was having a terrible time. But he just he was embarrassed to even, even talk about what, what had happened. You see, he had a secret. He had hidden, and no one knew this but him, he had hidden in his tracksuit weights, hidden weights. They were training weights. And he had them hidden. And he didn't know whether he could take them off, should take them off. He, he just was so confused. But he didn't. He decided not to ask anybody because he was too embarrassed to ask anybody about it. In fact, as he continued, he 
really was so focused on the difficulty of the run, and he was really struggling so badly, that that became his entire focus about hard this run was. And it just became consuming to him. He just, he couldn't even see the prize. And he says, there's just, there's no way I'm going to make it through this thing. He, he just said, this is impossible. And he, he finally just collapsed. He nearly passed out. I mean, medics had to come and rescue him and take him off the track. And the medics are like, what's going on here? They're, they're feeling his legs. They go, what are these? And they're lifting up his, his pant leg. Out. What, you know, weights on? What are you doing with weights on? Well, I didn't know. Why didn't you take them off? Well, I didn't know. Anyway. So what happened to him? He's gone too. So how many runners we got left? Three. Three runners. The third runner. He's looking good. He trained. He's looking real good. In fact, he was, uh, he was really proud of how he ran. He was especially proud of the fact that he didn't hit a running partner like these, you know, maybe these other guys. I mean, he, you know, he trained alone. He liked to run alone. We call him the, the lone wolf guy. He didn't need other runners to run with him, didn't need the encouragement. He passed people off. He passed that struggling guy up really quickly. He's like, yeah, that's struggling guy over there. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not him. Um... But as time progressed, he, 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 you know, he's a smart guy. He wanted to figure out how to make the run just a bit easier on his knees because he, you know, he didn't know how long this run was going to go. Nobody told him. This was one of the unknowns. And so he's like, well, you know the grassy area? Kind of, if you, if you, you know, a lot of pe- people in here run, right? You know, there's the tarmac. That's the hard stuff. And that, that's, that's pretty hard. It's pretty brutal. And, and you know what? It's much, much easier and, and safer on the knees and, and on the body and on the soul to just run a little bit off. I mean, not, not off the track. Just... Just in the grassy area. That's all. And so he, he figured out that as he slowly moved off the hard surface onto the softer surface, he really didn't have to pay attention so much to the actual race. He actually was able to focus on all the other things in his life uh, that were actually very important things. And so he realized the further he, he got off, the more he could focus on all these other things in his life. And, and he reasoned, he, he goes, well, I'm not off the track. Okay, I'm not on the track, but I'm not off the track. And, you know, given, given the fact that he was spending less time being so focused on the race itself, it really enabled him to get so much more done. And, uh, of course, the further he got off the track, um, the easier it was to get all these other things done and so that was a really helpful to the rest of his life. And, and so did running became kind of a second priority. Because all these other things were demanding so much time. And he was able to get most of them done. And he, he figured that he, he gave credit to the fact that he could, he could do all these things at the same time. Well, of course, what happens when you start getting off track and getting distracted is you lose track of the the track. <laughs> he was found days later on top of a rocky knoll, <laughs> waving to a helicopter that went by. 
<laughs> so he was. He was out. How many runners we had out? Two runners. You know, these were the, these two runners were the most unlikely people to enter the race. Like they thought about not even entering at all because they hadn't trained and they, they didn't know anything about running. They, they just really wanted the prize. <laughs> anything wrong with that? I guess not. They said, well, you know, the rules are just keep moving and don't quit and just stay on the track. And, and so they were actually said, well, let's, let's see. I, I guess we can do this thing. Um, but they, they had struggles. They had big struggles. Uh, one of them had also had weights on. But what was cool is because they were running together, the other guy goes, man, you're struggling. Buddy, what's up? And so the other guy finally said, well, these weights. And he's like, well, hey, I can help you with them. Yeah, but we got to keep moving. Yeah, 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 we will. I'm going to help you as we're moving, you know. You know? And, and then, you know, a while later, the other guy's getting phone calls and cell phones because there was no rule you couldn't bring your cell phone. So he's getting distracted. There was a lot of stuff going on at work and things like that. And, and, and the, the, the guy that he had helped the weights off with said, said, buddy, you're getting distracted here. Yeah, this is important. Yeah, but remember the prize? Ten million? And so they helped one another. I mean, they went through a lot of arguments, you know, their knees were hurting, they were complaining, they wanted to go back and ask the judges, I mean, you know, they just, but the thing was, they, they, they figured out that it was so much easier to run with a partner, that they wanted to keep doing it. They said, let's just become partners, and let's just run together. In fact, they concluded, there's no way we're going to finish this thing without one another, so we need to just be committed here, right? But you know what happened? They were having so much fun. They were just enjoying it so much. The race ended so suddenly that just were shocked that it was even over. And of course, everyone was cheering. Everyone was going nuts. They were just elated. They both won the prize. Fiction? I don't think so. I hope you figured out that it's about you. <laughs> Paul put it this way to Timothy. He said, I have... Stay on track! Keep moving! This is how Paul put it to Timothy. I have fought... I have fought, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is a store for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to also to all who have longed for his appearing. He put in 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run 
like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is a fight we're in. This is a battle. This is a race. This is serious stuff. Paul's saying, you've got to run like your life depends on it. This is not a walk in the park. This is not a hike up a mountain. This is a brutal race. We have no idea the course laid out for us. We have no idea how far this race is going to take us. But we do know that we've got to keep moving and we've got to stay on track and never give up. Paul is serious about this stuff. And we have to be serious about this. We gotta fight. We gotta battle. Or we're not gonna make it. We're not gonna make it. So, which run are you? You wanna review? Yeah. Let's review. Runner number one. He was the guy that complained. Lots of attitudes. You ever met anyone with attitudes? Have you ever been that person? I'm fine. No, no, I am. I'm fine. I really am. Yeah, you know who we argue with a lot? God. We got attitudes toward God. Why is this so hard? Why can't I get a break for once? I've been a faithful Christian for over 20 years. Why aren't my prayers answered? I've been faithfully serving you. I've asked one thing and nothing has happened from it. Why am I still in pain? Why is life so hard? Well, Isaiah explains God's thinking here, sort of. In Isaiah 55, he says, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nobody said say it again, but I think I should. <laughs> For my thoughts are not your thoughts. That's where we could end it right there. And God would be right and you would be wrong. <laughs> For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. No matter how good your ways are, no matter how bold your ways are, no matter how awesome your ways are, they're still not God's ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Your best ways, your best of the best of the best of the best are still not God's ways. And my thoughts, they're your thoughts. Is my wisdom the same as God's? But I think that sometimes. I think, come on God, if I were God, and then I go, oh no. I'm sorry. People say they like me, but I would not make a good God. I would make a lousy God. And 
so would you. <laughs> Say it to who? The woman sitting next to you? No, actually, she was pointing to him. I didn't create the universe. I don't think you did either. I didn't create heaven. I don't think you did either. So how could we possibly understand God? How could we possibly understand how God reasons, God's ways, God's thoughts? How can I understand the race that he has me on if I can't understand God's ways? I'm not going to understand the race I'm on. I'm not going to understand the course I'm on. All I'm going to do is complain about the course. Can you give me a break? Can you just answer this one prayer? Just this one, just, I promise I won't pray about anything else. Just the one prayer. Now don't let me feel like I'm the only one up here complaining to God. Am I the only one complaining to God here? Okay, thank you. Thank you. God doesn't tell us about the trials that lay ahead. So we gotta trust. We gotta trust. I mean I struggle with this a lot. I'm called I'm I'm what's called a control freak. Yes. And my wife says it's because I grew up with an alcoholic father. And when you grow up with an alcoholic parent, you, you're looking for control somewhere because life is out of control. And so I have a hard time when things are so nebulous and they're just so guessing game and, and you don't know what's going on. And, and I, you know, it's so bad that, that I, I drive the car all the time. But we go to South Carolina occasionally with my family and I drive the car the entire 14 hour trip. My wife's like, please honey, let me take a break. I'm okay. I actually get lots and lots and lots of sleep ahead of time so that I can do it without getting tired because heaven forbid that my wife would drive and I have to be a passenger. Now, I forgot, there are people here that know my wife. I promise I'll be really nice with the rest of the sermon. I realize that I'm my worst enemy because with all this desire to control comes a lot of stress. And um, the Bible talks about this. Uh, Jesus says, my yoke is stressful and my burden is great. I can relate to that scripture. I connect. Yeah, that's the gospel according to Jim Brown. It's not a gospel. You know, Jesus, what did Jesus say? He said, my yoke is, my burden is, is it for you? Are you living that scripture? 
Or you live in Jim Brown's way, stressed and controlled. You know, acute stress is okay. If a saber-toothed tiger is chasing you down, you need to be in stress. By all means, do not stand there casually waiting till it goes away. You run! But if you find yourself running from a saber-toothed tiger every day, every hour, every minute, that's called chronic stress, and it will kill you. More and more professionals are being honest and saying stress is the number one killer. How are you doing? You see, if there's chronic stress, you're, you're nothing more than the first runner. Complaining to God. Oh, I'm not complaining to God. Then you're trying to control God. Oh, I'm not trying to control God. Then what's going on? Because Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's the Christian life. Psalm 23 says, he leads me beside... He makes me lie down and... What does that sound like? I mean, I, I've had to really repent here. Because that's not my life. My life isn't, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. My life is... I'm around turbulent waters and burning up pastors! And people don't get in line! Why does this person just like me? And I get really stressed. And I've had to really repent because it's not right. Jesus has provided everything we need already. He's providing it. Here we are asking for it. Just take it. He's already given it. Yes, there will be dark valleys of gloom and doom. But we will not... Yes, there will be dark valleys of gloom. Even though you lead me through valleys that are dark, I will not... Fear no evil. Fear no evil. Is your life full of fear? Then you're the first runner. Now, if you're the first runner, the good news is you can change. Because you can grab the promises right out of the air. You can repent. And that's what I've seen for me. As I've been repenting, I have felt still waters refresh my soul. So if you're the first runner, I encourage you, take the promises. And run, Forrest, run. Run, Forrest, run. Okay, so that's just the first runner. Should we review the second runner? Because maybe I missed you on the first. Who's the second runner? What, what was his issue? The hidden weights. Hidden weights. 
Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the words marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The only way to run with perseverance, according to this verse, is to do what first? You've got to throw off everything that Everything that hinders everything, every weight. Do you have hidden weights? Yes. Now at least be honest with yourself. You don't have to nod or shake or anything or confess to the person next to you right now. But let's just make the space for honesty here. Do you have hidden weights? Hidden sin, hidden impurity, negative attitudes, divisions of the heart. How's it working for you? Feel good? No. You feel way down. It's hard to run. You try, it's just hard. You get into the fellowship, it's just hard. You, you schedule everything in that you need to schedule in for, for God's people and God's things and it just gets hard. You feel fake in fellowship because, well, you are. It's just hard. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 8, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but the son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. When is the last time you studied this for you not somebody else? We like to sit down with people who don't know the Bible that well and we challenge them with this verse, don't we? Now I want to tell you, if there's sin in your life, you're a slave to sin. And rightly so, that's what Jesus says. Now God listens to us say that to, to people. He listens to us as we challenge these people with the Bible. And how they've got to give up that impurity. And they've got to move out from that boyfriend or that girlfriend. And they've got to stop working at that place that's leading them this way and that way. And we're challenging them to be pure. And we're getting in there. And God's like, really? What about you? We reap what we sow. The good news is, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There's nothing like repentance to refresh your spirit. You know, one of the greatest powers we have, and one of the least used powers we have, is the power of the Holy Spirit to repent. We make so many excuses for sin. We just brush it off. So often. Now, in this room, there's the accused and the oblivious. So the accused are already feeling like crying. They're already weeping inside. So I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm going to talk to the oblivious. Hypocrisy does not work with God. We need to be open. We need to be honest. And we need to change. Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free in D.
indeed. Do we need other people? We do. One of the greatest things in the kingdom is you have people to be honest with that will never share with anybody else. Do you know how rare that is? Does that exist in the world? No, you tell people, they're like, oh, good. I have stuff to share. <laughs> they're elated that you're being open with them because, wow, they got some cool stuff for the water cooler. But in the kingdom, you share with people, it stays in that, that room. There's no water cooler. You know why? Because they love you, and they respect you. And they're open with you. And you know what? At the, bottom, at the end of the day, we all have the same problems anyway, right? So what do we do if we're the weighed down runner? What do we do? Let's help one another take off the weights so that we can run free. Well, how many runners left? Uh, run number... Number three! What did he do? This is the guy that... He really was really, really proud of the fact that he could run alone, right? Yeah. And he was doing really, really well until he figured out that softer ground that wasn't off the track or on the track, but it was, you know, depending on how you look at it. But what happened, he got so far off track, he forgot where he was, he got so lost, a helicopter had to come find him. How can we get that far off track? How's that happen? In Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, Jesus says the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choking, making it. The problem isn't the word. The problem isn't the truth. The problem isn't God. The problem is your worries. Your distractions. All the other really important things that need to get done. And you simply get farther and farther off the track of being devoted to God. You're being choked. You've wandered away from God's commitment. You've wandered away from that original commitment you made when you got baptized. When you said, I'm willing to die for Jesus and His family. So you've wandered away from God's family and you know what? You've went and joined a club. That's who you joined. You joined a club. Now you think you're in the family. Let's talk. Let me talk about a club. Let me describe a club to you. You know, we've heard of clubs, right? We know what clubs are. Here's a club. A club is someone, something where someone introduces you to the club. There's a membership process. You then decide to join the club. You pay dues. You attend activities. Some involvement is expected in every club, but your level of commitment is entirely up to you. That's a club. Shall we talk about God's family? There's a family. It's very different than a club. A family is something you're born into. You do not get to choose who else is in the family. 
There's no membership process, but there is a radical transformation process. You pay no dues, but you contribute. Sweat, blood, tears, talent, treasure, time. Your level of involvement in a family is not really up to you. Because you are family. And in a family, you're family for life. And you're family. And sometimes you argue with members of the family. Sometimes you don't even want to speak to members of the family. Sometimes you don't even want to eat with members of the family. But guess what? There's one table and you're all sitting at it. Because that's family. No, we talked about a club where it's all up to you. And we talked about a family where it's not up to you. Which is God's church most like? God's church is a family. It's not a club. God did not shed His blood to form a club. God did not give up His life to form a club. The church of Jesus is not a club. It is a family of God. Committed, sold out, totally devoted to everything Jesus wants us to do. That is what Jesus is all about. But I have to say, Satan has deceived some of us. Satan has deceived us. He has gotten us. He's changed the blueprint. We've gone from family to club. We have a large percentage of our membership functioning simply simply as members of a club. They're running solo. All their decisions are their decisions. They're actually proud of the fact they don't need other people. In fact, they're getting disturbed that other people want to be that involved and ask questions like their work schedule. We bought in. We drank the Kool-Aid. I know I'm not preaching to the choir here. You know, just like any club, somebody introduced you to the church. To you, there was a membership process. You decided to join, pay dues, attend activities. You're cordial, you greet people. Your level of involvement is entirely up to you. Your relationships are superficial. Nobody even expects you to get too deep. Because you made that clear. You're really bonded by commonality, just like any club. And just like any club, you sit with those you click with. And you don't bother to get to know people that you don't necessarily click with. Or certainly those that you've had an issue with. Your main life, main life is actually bound up in your career and hobbies. You're runner number three. You're in the club. You know, there's the Yale Club, the Harvard Club, there's the Tennis Club, the Flower Club, the Beauty Club, the Country Club, the Racquetball Club, and the Church Club. And we see these church clubs all over the place. There's many of them. But the Church of Christ, Jesus' body, God's church, must never, ever become a club.
You know, maybe you realize you're that runner. You're runner three. I just want to encourage you. Repentance can be quick. Usually it just takes a good prayer and cry. If that doesn't work, it takes a good conversation with somebody and a prayer and a cry. And if that doesn't work, it takes maybe two or three conversations and a prayer and a cry. Sometimes, even before those conversations, you have to fast. Heaven forbid you to be deprived of food. But it works. And then you talk to people and have a prayer and cry. The good news is, when you repent, and you realize, what have I been doing? I've been an idiot. I've been so dull. And you get back in the race, and you run with fervor. In fact, you're some of the best runners. When you repent, you start cranking. Come on, man! Come on! And then you'll have other, other disciples like, didn't you just repent? <laughs> Which means that that runner needs to have a good talk, fast, prayer, and cry. We're all a bunch of sinners. It's a little unnerving that you're sitting next to all sinners. And it's really a setup for failure. God set us up for failure. A bunch of sinners helping other sinners be perfect. That doesn't. It sounds like a setup. What are you doing to us? Is no one perfect? Yeah, there was one that was. And he's our Lord. Amen. And he tells us we need each other. In fact, the least among you need the I can't say I don't need you and vice versa. We need even the least of the least of the least of the least is needed. And you need and everybody needs. It's actually kind of refreshing. It's like it takes a lot of pressure off. Doesn't it? And we all need each other. So we have how many other runners? I'm, I'm, I'm losing track. Can we can we do this? Can we finish this up? How many runners we got left? Whoa! What happened to all the rest? What happened to everybody else? Disqualified because the rules. You know the rules. Got to stay on track. Can't give up. Got to keep moving. There's no breaks. Can't take a break. Can't quit. Got to keep moving. Well, the last two, do you remember what happened to them? What was their secret? Well, one was they followed the rules. What was their secret? Now, they didn't know one another at first. They were actually different nationalities. They barely spoke each other's language. Um, they had almost nothing in common. But what was interesting is, you know how two cogs are like this? They, they started figuring out that 
one was missing one thing that went like this, and another was missing that thing, and, and then that thing, and they became very powerful. They became best friends. It's really unique because they have nothing in common except the Jesus and the race. But they finished. Did they have struggles? Did they have complaints to God? Yeah. Did they sometimes have an attitude or two? Did they have weights to take off? Sounds like us. Did they get phone calls of distracting them at work and the demands of work and, you know, well, I can't make midweek anymore because, you know, I mean, whatever. Yeah, all that was going on. Sounds like us. Can we do this thing? You know, one of the things about running that we've got to figure out as, as Christians is we've got to be able to run in the zone. That's what we've got to figure out. Because I think that this is what's kind of on my heart to share, and I didn't plan on sharing it, so it may not come out right. Um, for suddenly I'm feeling emotional about it, I don't know why. I think it's because it's something I've been learning. That um, I have felt so weighed down and so burdened and so stressed and so um, not in peace. I guess that's the best way to put it. I, I had to go out with my wife the other day. And um, I said, honey, we got to go pray. She goes, I want to pray here. I go, no. I go, we got to get out of the house. We got to go pray out. I got to get out. She's like, yeah, but I really don't have time. I go, no, this is important. We got to go. And we went, and we went to, in Westchester, we had the Rockefeller Preserve. It's this gorgeous area. And we prayed, and I just cried the whole time. And I didn't just cry. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't even walk. I just wept. And I said, I'm not at peace. And I think God really helped me realize that there's a lot of days I'm not at peace. And that that's not the Christian promise. That's not the Christian way. That's not what Jesus promises. So, I'm failing. Because I have chronic stress. And so I said, I'm going to start repenting. And I've been repenting. And I've seen so many victories. Now, I'm not there. I am not there. <laughs> but at least I'm further along than I was. And the decision I've made... Is I've made a decision to just keep moving. I've made a decision to not leave the track. I've made a decision that I'm in this for life, whether it's 80 years, or 100 years, or 120 years, I hope not, but I'm in it for the long haul, I'm going to keep moving, and I want you to join me. Can we do this thing? Can we get back in the race and run? I love you. Amen.